My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach and author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life, and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlocked Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Today, I'm meeting a psychiatrist and coach, Dr. Gori Seth, who, like me, trained at medical school in Bristol here in the UK. We'll be hearing all about her journey in psychiatry and family therapy, her unlock moment when she decided to leave the medical profession, and the coaching work she's now doing with families using the method she developed called brain-based connection. Gori is a mother of three children, an executive parent and emotional intelligence coach, and a psychiatrist with an extensive clinical and academic background in medicine, psychiatry, and psychotherapy. She is widely published in academic journals and on a variety of health topics, including research on the benefits of meditation on psychological well-being amongst Buddhist monks and nuns. Her research on family therapy has been disseminated by the World Health Organization. Gori founded Brain-Based Connection in 2021 as a coaching program to support other parents with emotional connection with their children. Gori is now on a mission to support parents with holistic science for their own well-being, as well as that of their children. She is a member of the Royal College of Psychiatrists and is appointed as an expert in parent and family wellness at several private clinics. Having left a vocational career in medicine myself, I'm fascinated to learn from others who have done the same. So let's get into it. Gori, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Thank you so much, Gary. It's really a pleasure to be here. So tell me a little bit about when you first decided that you wanted to become a doctor. How old were you at that time? Yeah, that is such an interesting question. Um, And I don't think I've answered that before. Um, I've always wanted to be a doctor, I think, from the age of probably four. I mean, I remember vividly, you know, being drawn to books, um, uh, books where there were, you know, anatomy books, you know, child friendly anatomy books. I mean, my father is a doctor, he's a retired psychiatrist. um, And I think I've always really idolised my father. And I think literally, Um, you know and I think also at school I've always been drawn to biology and science um, and people so medicine was has always been within me as something that I wanted to to do and I feel really fortunate and grateful that I was able to pursue that that dream. And it was about the people side of medicine or is about the science or something else? I think earlier earlier it was probably the science. I absolutely loved science. And I think it's such a lovely way of applying knowledge, you know. You're not, you know, you've got the knowledge and then you're applying it in a way that can that is interesting, it's exciting, you're constantly learning. And of course, at the other end, you're also helping somebody else and you're helping potentially enhance someone else's quality of life. So for me, it's a it's a wonderful blend. 
Um, it, and also it gives you a sort of sense of purpose and a strong sense of fulfillment. Um, there's never a dull moment, I think. And, you know, continuously developing professionally means that you're always learning more. Um, and I think there's a part within us that wants to continue and continue to grow. So all of those aspects, I think, you know, medicine really serves very, very well. Obviously, I didn't know that at the age of four. Um, from childhood onwards, it was about getting the grades, studying, you know, doing all the things it takes to um, get into medical school. And that isn't just the academic side, that's, you know, Duke of Edinburgh, speech and drama, piano, and all those things. But I think medicine really, it's nice in the sense that it requires a very sort of holistic, rounded skill set. It's not just the sort of knowledge and theory, as I'm sure so you, you spend know. your whole life wanting to be a doctor all the way through school from, yes. from, from almost before you can remember. And, and as you say, your, fa your father was a doctor. Um, do you remember walking into medical school on day one? And because w was was it what you expected it to be, or was it different from what you expected? Because you've been imagining that for a long, long time. Yeah. So walking into medical school, I mean, I went to Bristol Medical School like yourself, um, and it just felt so exciting and just such an enormous privilege you know, and, and it is an enormous privilege. Obviously, you know, every year there's exams. So you end up revising for all of your holidays. But that's all I knew. That is actually all I knew. As far as I'm concerned, I've had my nose in a book from the age of about 11. <laughs> um, so and um, it is difficult. There's no question that it takes an awful lot of resilience and patience. Um, you know, there's a lot of waiting in terms of, you know, it's a five-year degree. I also did an extra year. Um, I did an intercalated BSc in bioethics, which is medical law, ethics and philosophy, um, which I absolutely loved. But that was a lot of essays, a lot of, you know, a, I think it was a 15,000-word dissertation. Um, and it was hard work, for sure. There was a lot of, you know, there's a lot of cortisol, I'd say, throughout that journey. Um, and I look back fondly, you know, it wasn't easy, but I don't think many things are easy. Um, and in terms of how I look at myself now, I think medicine kind of forces you to go beyond your comfort zone so much that you can't help but grow. You know, you cannot help but sort of have these constant moments of transformation. And, you know, one can only be so grateful for those. Um, it doesn't mean it was always easy. I remember uh, very recently, I, I learned a fact about medical training, which I wasn't aware of before. But I, I remember this sense at medical school of there was always new words that I didn't know what they meant. And so I, I, I tried to find out recently, how many new words do you learn when you're at medical, sc medical school? And the answer is 15,000, which is 10 a day for the entire five-year medical training. So do you remember that that sense of just never quite feeling like you knew enough? Absolutely. And especially the early years, the preclinical years, which are so kind of theory heavy, biochemistry heavy, anatomy heavy. Wow. It's literally learning another language. And um, it's hard work. You know, it takes a lot of grit and a lot of time. Um, and yet, I kind of assume that medical school attracts people who want to do that. They want to, it's almost like a chronic being in the gym all the time, but for your brain. Um, and there must be something in that, you know, people that don't mind that because, you know, I mean, I've only recently just sat my last ever membership exam um, a few months ago. 
involved involving a lot of revision again a lot of learning but also that was a more sort of practical exam so really applying the knowledge in an empathic way for 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 that exam and you know people are like you're 37 and you're still doing an exam and I'm like I know um and how you know for me I I love I love it I think it's such an interesting you know it's you know psychiatry especially such an interesting area within medicine um and personally I feel it's been a privilege because you learn so much which you can apply directly to your own relationships your own um decisions your own life so I wouldn't shy away from something like medicine because of the hard work um I think it's not for everybody but I think the work in itself um you know, it depends how one looks at work. But I think, you know, the hard work is everywhere. Um, I think junior doctor years is is very difficult. Um, and for me personally, I mean, I had three children uh, throughout my junior doctor years. Okay, so I had, you know, maternity leaves, and I went part time. And there was sleep deprivation, you know, there's so much uncertainty when you have children who are unwell at the wrong time. And I think for me, that's what I found very difficult. Um, and I actually found it actually impossible for me to continue to be the parent I wanted to be that was true to my authentic self amidst training. Um, but for me, I've you know, I've pressed pause to clinical medicine with a view that one day when my children are older, when they're going to be less interested in me, I can go back. But for now, it was it simply wasn't possible for me to kind of continue. Um, And for me, you know, when I left medicine, it was actually a decision that was very much it wasn't really a decision. It was almost like there was no option because um, when it came to childcare, we had a lot of support from grandparents. And when they no longer could safely do that because of the pandemic, um, you know, I had a breastfeeding baby at the time. So we made a joint decision as a family, you know, me and my husband, that I was going to press pause, um, get the children to school years and then revisit. So interestingly, my my sort of stepping into coaching um, was actually later. The decision actually, which was a very difficult decision, was to leave medicine. And I just want to say that was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. Why Why was it so hard? Because I love psychiatry. I enjoyed my job. Um, I absolutely loved working in clinical psychiatry. And um, obviously, I also love being a parent, And but both are hard in different ways. And I, I enjoyed that blend because I kind of think work is so powerful for mental well-being. You know, work is, is not just work. It's also our, how we can um, kind of reflect our sense of purpose. And when suddenly you realise that, it's not going to be very easy to do that without an enormous hit for other people in your family. It's very, very difficult. You're conflicted. And, you know, you can't just turn that bit of your psychology off, the bit that wants to, to be a doctor and le- learn all the time. Um, so that was one of the reasons that it was very difficult. And it, it felt like a grief reaction, actually. It felt like I, it was a loss. How long you been, had you been practicing at that point? Um, so on and off with with you know part time and maternity leaves i think it had been 10 around about 10 years so a decade um and you know medicine really is a different world i feel it's a culture within itself and um you know medics understand medic and do you feel i mean you know you're you're an expert in working with other people's minds and their mental health and now you know you're going through a journey that that is your own sort of emotional journey and your own sort of wellness journey actually so 
did it did it feel like you're turning your focus on yourself at that point really good question and the answer is no it felt that I was turning my focus to my to my children and my husband um and that part of myself that wants to be a connected consciously connected parent you know I strongly believe there are different parts of ourselves and at different points in one's life one has the opportunity to express that and tune into it but it doesn't mean any part turns off so when I was at work I used to really struggle I'd be thinking of my children all the time and you know are there emotional needs being met when I was at you know when you're not at work you feel guilty that way so I it was actually um did I feel I was turning towards myself? I suppose to some degree, the part of me that wanted to be the best mother and wife I could be, yes. Um, but it's not that, you know, being, a, I'll be really honest, for me, being a parent is the hardest thing I've ever done. And um, I, I found the, the times when I was at home with the children, for me, was the hardest time because you never stop. You know, as a parent, you literally never stop. You can barely go to the toilet when the baby's very young it's literally very very difficult to meet your needs but I think um, the way I look at it is it's a very finite period where you have to adjust your life as a parent and I'm lucky that I we were able to make that decision as a family and that my husband and me were very aligned on that decision that look you know children really only you know the that period of time where their brains are developing and their self-esteem is being nurtured is actually not that long a period of time. And I can continue to be a doctor later on. I think I hear two sort of streams of thought there. One, one is a practical one, which is how do I take all of these things and fit them into 168 hours a week in a very practical, pragmatic way? And then there's something else that I think I'm hearing, which is about identity you know, identity as a parent, identity as a doctor. And as you're saying, it's not that you switch one off and you switch one on, but it's the kind of waxing and waning of levels of, of how each of those define you or how each of those are sort of um, most prominent in, in your mind. So when, when you think of your identity, how does that play to this balance of wife and mother and doctor and, and all these other things how does that play for you all facets of those things are very very important to me um and the way I look at it is it's about timing so you know before having children the mother bit of me there was no that was not being activated at all and it was all about being a you know a doctor or being a friend or being a daughter and then being a wife um I think I think part of the problem when you make a huge transition is how you navigate those facets of your identity and what you do with that difficult emotion. Because I had a lot of, I felt very anxious actually during that process of making that decision. You know, what will people think of me? What will people think that I'm doing with all the training I've had? You know, um, there were so many difficult things. And I think what I'll say is the best thing one can do is have a sort of non judgmental approach to these difficult aspects. Okay, and trying to really look inwards and understand which aspect of one's identity, because that is that can be fluid, external factors change. Um, and it's about aligning aspects of yourself with the right situation at the right time, but being mindful that that other bit of you doesn't go anywhere. You can tap back into that. And it's a constant blend of optimizing all those different things 
but being not being too hard on yourself and realizing that actually you may not make the perfect decision. And I think that's been really helpful, not striving for the perfect decision, because there is never going to be a perfect outcome. It might be that, you know, I may not be um, you know, there's so many things that, you know, I've pressed pause to my clinical work now, but it doesn't matter if I'm going to be a lot older when I become a consultant, you know, who does that matter to? Um, so I think it's about having a non-judgmental perspective um, and going with the flow, but trying to remain true to your values. And for me, um, you know, being the mother that I want to be is really important because the way I look at it is, my children's sort of self-esteem, their sense of self, their future well-being, I can have an enormous impact on that for them. And they've only got one mum, and that's me. Um, so that's how I've sort of navigated those difficult, difficult decisions. It's really powerful. And we're here to talk about this concept of an unlocked moment, which is a, a flash of clarity, a real moment of clarity. So when so when you're on this journey of transition from the world as it was before, you know, and, and you're in your clinical practice, and then you came to this realization that you had to do something differently and, and to press pause. What was the moment when you found clarity? Now I understand what I what I have to do. Remember that, mm, I, that, I, I that do. moment of time. I do remember that, um, and it was literally the pandemic. Um, if the pandemic hadn't impacted my childcare the way it did. Um, I suspect I might, you know, in fact, I definitely would have carried on. It was a decision that wasn't really mine. It was an external. The circumstances were such that there was literally no choice. It, according to my values and my sense of sort of purpose and my my vision, there was there was no question that I was going to be taking a pause. And you describe that as a practical thing, you know, because you couldn't get childcare, therefore you needed to play that role yourself. Well, yes, it was. I couldn't arrange the childcare that I wanted for our children. Um, therefore, it was a logistics thing. It was a practicalities thing. And I don't know whether there's an answerable question, but what did that tell you about you mm. that that's the, the decision that you made beyond the practicalities? I think it tells me that as with probably a lot of doctors in training that you go through, you've got to go through the hoops and you're not probably that conscious of where you are in that journey and how it relates to the other aspects of your life. So it took something very, very real and practical for me to sort of step off. So what does that say about me? Probably that I, um, I go with the flow. Um, and however, it also tells me just how powerful my vision is as a parent really. It kind of tells me that it really took the sort of how I want my early years for my children to look like. It took that for me to, to leave medicine. And it was not an easy decision. It was actually very, very difficult. I've been talking to a few people recently about this idea that I'm sure at some point I should turn into a little article somewhere about hamster wheels versus playground roundabouts. And hamster wheels are a thing that you that you feel yourself running on, mm. but you can choose to stop running. So it's within your gift. Um, and playground roundabouts, you know, the little ones that spin round and round and round and you're stuck in the middle of it. Um, I always feel a little bit like you need somebody else's help to slow that down. And I, th I think that my, my, my read of your 
story there is actually that's more like the playground roundabout, that it was a pandemic and circumstances making you go, I have a practical problem that I must now resolve. That's effectively something external slowing down that playground roundabout for you so that you can step off, as opposed to you independently choosing to slow down the step off and see a new perspective. Does that resonate as a slightly weird metaphor no i think that's absolutely right that is exactly right um i suspect if the pandemic hadn't happened i would have carried on i would have got to the end you know i would have got to consultant um and at that point i would have had an opportunity to stop step off that wheel um and regroup but i think you know training isn't easy there's not a lot of um, you know, it's it's physically exhausting, it's emotionally exhausting, there's exams, you know, junior doctor years are very difficult. So, and then if you've got children and, you know, sleep deprivation mixed into all of that, you know, there is a very little conscious reflection of, of um, you know, where are we going? I think you just have to get there and then one can review. Um, but for me, I actually stepped off before that. Um, but yeah, I think that's a fair analogy. And are you grateful that that happened that it enabled you to stop i am really grateful that i'm able to be present physically more present with my children um i'm able to be there pick them up drop them off connect with them talk to them laugh with them help them nurture their growing sense of self which is which is all i want um and you know, it was a very, there was probably about a six month period after leaving where it felt very, very difficult. And I felt that loss, but it didn't take long before I discovered that actually there is a way I can use my skills to do something meaningful. And that's through the world of coaching. And actually, I didn't know that coaching existed. Um, And I'm just so grateful that I discovered it. Um, and actually, I think psychiatry, psychotherapy, these all these sort of disciplines lend themselves so well, and medicine, to coaching, that I just feel like the luckiest girl in the world, because I'm able, you know, there's a really lovely kind of phrase, both and, not either or. Okay, so one can have a fulfilling um, professional sort of sense that they are using their skills, using their brain, contributing to the lives of others. You can do that and support your authentic self and support your family. You can do both and. And before I wasn't able to, it was actually an either or and I had to bring in other family members to support the family system. But what I've realized, and I'm really grateful and f- quite proud of, is that through the business that I've set up, I'm able to sort of have that satisfaction that I am working and I am supporting other people and I'm able to be there for my own children. And do you feel that you've had to find a new mission or purpose in this new role or do you feel actually it fulfills the same mission and purpose that you had as a psychiatrist, as a doctor? I feel what's happened with this, and it's happened sort of organically, that the skills that I have and the knowledge, you know, the educational background, whatever, all the things that I can offer, um, which I was offering through medicine, um, you know, I have basically repackaged all of those into another remit, which allows me to be flexible, but offer a similar sort of offering. The main difference, I think, with coaching is that the emphasis is different. The emphasis is on prevention. So it's still about well-being. It's still about wellness. But actually, it's about prevention rather than 
cure. Okay, so when you're working in clinical medicine, there is a problem, there's a pathology, and you're trying to support it, you're trying to fix the problem. And what the coaching is allowing me to do is sometimes before there is even a problem, you know, I work with parents where there may not be a problem, but what they want to do is understand how do they prevent problems in the in the connection in the behaviors in the emotional well-being of their children so the the skills are the same the vision is similar which is to support people um but it's the 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 tilt is more towards prevention and I feel so delighted to be in that space it's so enjoyable so satisfying and it's a real privilege as I'm sure you'd agree so tell us a little bit about brain-based connection where it came from and and what it is that, that you've developed Yes, sure. So brain-based connection is a methodology um, which focuses on connection. So the focus of my coaching is to support people, not just parents, um, but to support people to think about connection. Um, Connection is a very powerful concept. And I think unless you bring conscious awareness to the connection between you and somebody else, um, you can bumble through life and not necessarily um, leverage on all the benefits of a better connection. Okay. Now, when I talk about parent-child connection, I'm talking about, you know, what does it take for the child to feel that you are an attuned caregiver. And it's not actually just parents, it's caregivers, you know, it could be au pairs, nannies, teachers, key workers, um, you know. So it's about trying to understand what does it take for your child to feel that attunement from their caregiver. Um, And that will be different for every child, depending on their age, depending on so many different factors. Um, But what brain-based connection is about is about bringing sort of science, um, you know, concepts from neuroscience, from psychotherapy, from family therapy, from cognitive behavioral therapy, and family therapy, as well as schema therapy. So I'm turning to lots of sort of different evidence-based disciplines um, and packaging that together into a method which any parent could understand. They don't have to have a science background. They don't have to have a psychotherapy background. You know, this is about translational well-being. So I believe there's an enormous gap Um, which I'm trying to bridge. Um, And and this is basically based from my clinical practice as a psychiatrist and as a psychotherapist, that there are so many transformative kind of nuggets of science swirling around, which need to land into family units. Um, You know, if you understand what it takes to sort of connect with somebody to regulate the emotional state with them, if you understand what it takes for children to um, have a good self-esteem, have a good sort of sense of self, to know that they are loved for who they are, no matter what. Um, These key concepts, which are fairly simple, they're not very complex, and yet they can be transformative to a growing mind. Um, And so that's what brain-based connection is about. It's about bringing that science to parents, um, but through a coaching format. And by that, I mean, you know, I believe strongly that um, we are in a multicultural world and that also, you know, within a family, within the same culture, every family has their own culture. And it's about trying to understand the universals. And I believe connection is a universal. Um, All humans need to connect. And it's about helping a family or parents 
um, apply connection to their circumstances. So whether that's, you know, I'm a working parent and I want to be more connected to my children. Okay, so then we'll take that scenario um, and support connection to make sure that the parent's making the most of that time together so that children are kind of feeling that connection. Why is this important to you? Why is it that this is the thing that you've chosen to to do? I think I thank my um, experience working in psychiatry and psychotherapy because I think it's very clear when you go deep into anybody's sort of history just how important those early relational experiences can be. Um, And I think it's kind of it's a bit of an irony that those you know um, there's a there's a kind of concept that the first seven years of life form the patterns which you then feel familiar with which you will then probably be attracted to repeating in the future and I heard that once in a psychotherapy supervision session and I just remember thinking you know so basically the first seven years of life are really important and yet As a parent myself, I know that it's a very demanding time for parents. It's very, very difficult. So the reason I set this up is to sort of almost turn towards that irony that this is such an important time in a child's life, and yet parenting is so difficult. So how can we support parents? Um, How can we help parents? And I'm really keen to ensure that this message is is in a very non-judgmental way, that, look, parenting is tough. Um, And what will it take for parents to feel that they can remain connected to themselves and their children? Um, And self-care for parents is a big passion of mine. And the reason I say that is I know that parents, you know, they'll give their all to their children, to their work. um, And, you know, they are the last the last that they're going to turn towards to supporting. And the message really is, you know, you you can't give from an empty cup. Um, And how can we help parents during a very self-sacrificing stage of life to turn towards themselves, um, to top themselves up and to understand what does it take for them to feel self-care? You know, self-care is different for everybody. And it took me years to understand what that what it even means. I mean, you know, not everybody likes yoga. I mean, I do. And there's a lot of evidence supporting meditation and yoga. And those are all really positive. Some parents may not resonate with those things. So, it's a it's a very much an exploratory question and an individual question for parents to turn in and understand what does it take for them to reconnect with their authentic self, um, to restore, to re-energize, so that they can um, be that attuned caregiver to their children. Self care for the parent is really important, and you talked about your own journey and your own experience. And when you close your eyes. What's what are you visualizing in that moment when you think about self care for the parent is is important? What's what's the story or what's the moment in your own experience that that comes to mind at that point? What triggers that? I think um, I always thought that it's about you know ring fencing thirty minutes of time to do an activity or do something. But I remember having a moment when all I'd done is I'd gone for a coffee with a friend, I'd gone on the train, and I came back. And I felt completely restored, just having that time to myself without a sort of a child tugging at me. And I realized that actually self-care can be anything. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be what other people think is self-care. It could even be listening to a song. So I find listening to a really good song restores me. Um, it, it could be looking at a good view. So I think um, 
you know, it's a very personal question and I would, I would really guide and advise everyone to make that personal judgment call for themselves. It's not about looking at what other people are doing. It's not about necessarily, um, you know, and it may even be the least expensive things that can restore you the most. It's interesting that story of, in your case, it's not necessarily a big thing and it's not expensive thing. It's not necessarily a long thing, It's but it's a moment that you need to find. And and when you think back to your own, you know, early parenting experience, how easy was it to forget to do that? Oh, I would say it was impossible. My early parenting moments were a haze, a fog of just, I, I was not connected to myself at all. And that might be why I, I, I'm passionate, so passionate about um, helping parents connect with themselves. Because I think physiologically, it's a very, very unique time, especially if you have kind of, you know, given birth to the baby. I mean, your whole body, the hormones, the sleep deprivation. And I think it took me probably three years um, after the birth of each child where I felt I was back to my authentic, free self. Because um, there are a lot of modifiable factors in the parenting journey which pass. And I think when I look back at my, you know, when I had my first baby, I don't think I realized how transient that those modifiable factors were. You kind of think, oh my gosh, this is my life now. This is how it's going to be. But actually, in hindsight, I kind of wish I'd realized that, look, this is a section of my life. Um, it is going to get better. And just be super kind to yourself, super patient, and get as much support as you can. Um, and try and be as non-judgmental towards yourself as you can. And when you're in a conversation with somebody and and your voice is around look after yourself more, find moments for yourself, find that self-care. Um, and they're laughing and saying, ha ha, I just don't have the time. It's just impossible. And you, and you resonate with that too, because you've been there too. What's something that you say that helps get somebody from a place of, but it's just impossible to a place of maybe I, maybe I can. I think, um, if somebody was sort of saying that to me, what I, I can imagine saying that to somebody, okay. And what I want deep down in that moment is for someone to say, look, I hear you. I want to know that my experience is validated, right? So if someone said to me, look, I get it. You're so tired. There is no time. You know, your baby needs you all the time. I get it. It's really hard. That's probably the first step in me then thinking, actually, maybe there is a way. Whereas if someone just keeps, if you don't have that authentic validation that your experience is real, then you just end up trying to defend yourself to say, look, no, I am too busy. Hear me. You've no idea. It's too difficult. But if you come from, if you synergize from perspectives and you feel heard, then you might then, because I think it does come from us. If we don't see that potential, it's it's going to be very difficult to take that time. So it's whatever it takes for that parent to um to believe for themselves just how important it is because what we're understanding from sort of science is that in order to support a child to regulate their emotional state what they need is a connected caregiver to co-regulate okay now co-regulation basically means um helping you calm down with somebody else with you but if that caregiver is exhausted if that caregiver is burnt out 
it's very difficult for that co-regulation process to happen. So it could be that parents need to understand the science that, look, if you don't ring fence time for yourself, it's going to be a lot harder for you to stay connected and co-regulate with your children who actually don't have a choice because, you know, their brains are developing and the part of their brain that they need to regulate their emotional state hasn't developed yet. I love hearing your authentic experience of, of having been there yourself. And it's very easy. I talk a lot about self-help guidance that is along the lines of, if you were only to eat the breakfast that I eat, then you will be become supremely successful. And of course, life is not that simple, because if it was, then we'd all be supremely successful all eating whichever breakfast it is. But actually, it's different for everybody. Circumstances are different for everybody. Uh, and I like when, when you're saying that you need to think about what's right for you, but there are certain parameters or ways to think about it to help you find that journey. And I know from working in the mother and baby sector myself, I didn't have children, but I've worked in the mother and baby retail sector and first time parents coming into the store was very, very different journey from second and third time parents because it's also new and they feel so alone and single parents in particular or, or, or new parents who don't, you know, who's, his own parents are not around anymore, it can be an incredibly lonely time. So for people who don't have an easy and obvious connected family network, supportive network of friends around them, what, what would you say to them in terms of something that they can do to help look after themselves, to enable them to look after their little one as well? Yeah, I think it's really hard. And I agree. I think, you know, the importance of a tribe is, is huge. And I think if one doesn't have that tribe, you don't have family, extended family, or a hands-on co-parent, it's really hard. And, you know, what would I say? I think part of it is distress tolerance. It's a concept I speak to my children about all the time, that we have to get good at tolerating moments that are difficult um, and remembering that they do pass. So sleep deprivation is the biggest biggest thing that I struggled with. And what can you do with that? You No one can say anything to me. You're tired, you're sleep deprived, you're going to carry on, you've got to keep being a parent. So what I would say is, um, hold in mind that that time will pass. And hold in mind that you just have to think about the next best thing you can do. I would say drop sort of high standards, drop perfectionism, drop having unrelenting standards, because that bar that we sometimes have for ourselves in our own head is actually in our own head. Um, and actually, it's much more powerful to try and to look inwards and think, look, you know, have I got the important things sorted? And if I have, you're doing really, really well. And just, you know, I think I do strongly feel that parenting is very, very very, very hard. Um, and just not, you know, as I say, not having that high bar, just kind of. And also, I think what I would like to see is a much lower threshold for people getting support. Um, I think there is still a bit of a stigma around getting, you know, support for one's emotional well-being, whether it's through seeing a therapist or a coach or going to the GP. I think we need to be, you know, we are seeing this shift, which I'm delighted about, and I would encourage that shift to continue. 
we should have a much lower threshold of getting help. Because what I find, you know, having worked as a therapist is often people come when they've experienced so much suffering. And actually, that could have been avoidable if we if we ask for that help earlier. And earlier, you know, support earlier is better. Um, and what I love about coaching is that you don't even have to have a significant problem. It could just be, look, um, I'm not quite sure how this is working out. And I want some support. I need a coach to help me figure that out. And I'm loving the sort of rise in digital um, products to help make that all more accessible. Because I remember myself when I had two under two and I needed some support. And it's just so difficult to kind of take your children to a therapist. It's very, very hard when you're physically exhausted. And I think I'd like to see... um, that support being a bit more accessible to parents. And I think that's where digital technology could be really powerful. That's, it's, it's such an important message and you've articulated it so beautifully. So thank you for that. So we're in quarter of the way through 2022. Um, what's coming up for you in the rest of this year in, in your business and in your work? Yeah, so um, I'm continuing to sort of um, offer the connection coaching to parents uh, individually as couples or in groups. Um, I've also written a book, which I'm looking at now sort of working up for publication. And that's going to basically be a book full of my sort of strategies, my practical tips on how to remain connected to oneself and to children. Um, so watch this space for that. Um, and in, in terms of, as I mentioned, making that science more accessible, I'm also recording courses which will be um, accessible to lots of parents so they could potentially watch it while they're cooking. You know, you could you could have it on in the background. Um, and I'm also working on um, a, a digital product as well, which is about helping bring that sort of conscious connection to, to parents so that everyday life um, can be sort of, can be boosted in terms of their emotional well-being through that product. Amazing. And, and where can people find out more about you? Um, so yes, I have a website, um, brainbasedconnection.co.uk. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Fantastic. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For Dr. Gory Seth, after a highly successful career as a psychiatrist and academic, it was finding a new outlet for her skills and experience through coaching and supporting families, becoming an entrepreneur gave her new challenges, but also the opportunity to find a new balance with family life. Gory is a great example of a person who refuses to be constrained by convention, and it's very exciting to watch her grow her brain-based connection practice and make a difference to families in a new way. Gory, thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlock Moment. Thank you for having me, Gary. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset, available in physical book, ebook, and audiobook formats. Follow me on Instagram and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Join me again soon.